You're listening to Protect It All, where Aaron Crow expands the conversation beyond just OT, delving into the interconnected worlds of IT and OT cybersecurity. Get ready for essential strategies and insights. Here's your host, Aaron Crow. Hey, Clint. Welcome to the show, buddy. But go ahead and, and why don't you tell us who you are, what you do, all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, cool. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, so about me, I'm a 25 plus year veteran in cybersecurity, uh, United States Air Force veteran as well. It's where I got started, but been doing the cybersecurity thing for more than 25 years, been specializing in OT ICS before we called it OT and ICS <laughs> since about 2003 or something like that. I mean, kind of got introduced to it uh, in the 90s, but really formally got into it in the early 2000s and been doing pretty much OT ICS cybersecurity solid nonstop since then, never looked back anything. I focused on the offensive side of things, mostly writing code, pen testing, development, but throughout consulting, as you know, you can't get away from the compliance and all the other, all the good stuff. So I've been, been doing pretty much that. So now I am the co-founder and CEO by default of <laughs> ThreatGen, the cybersecurity gamification and simulation company. And so if it matters, some of you may know that or may know me from my previous works in as one of the principal authors of Hacking Exposed Industrial Control Systems in my upcoming book, which is Cyber or ChatGPT for Cybersecurity, which is not just ChatGPT, it's just a buzzword. Um, but yeah, so we'll just start there and go from there. Awesome. Yeah, Clint and I have have a very uh, similar background in, in a lot of ways, been doing this a long time. Um, I, 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 I've been fortunate enough to have some amazing conversations with people like you, uh, you and I, you know, hanging out at Black Hat and, and talking about the art of the possible and, and AI and cybersecurity and OT and all these different things. So, man, let's dig into it. You know, let's let's you, you and I were on a, um, a, a YouTube stream yesterday um, doing a tabletop exercise um, where we were the um, the Death Star and we were on the Death Star and we were yep. cyber response and we were we were responding to an incident where the rebels were trying to attack us. It was a lot of fun. But why don't you talk a little bit about what that is um, and why that's important and why it's valuable and what the why it's cool um, beyond just the, you know, we were the bad guys or the good guys or whichever side you want us to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we were using the platform that I just recently developed called Auto Tabletop and the it was really cool because it was the very first that I know of live stream tabletop exercise. And the, the product that I developed it, in this all started way back, um, I guess, when large language models and generative AI first became a thing in late 2022. And this, the, the really kind of the, the beginning of that was I was, and I'll just backtrack a little bit more. So I've been working with AI for quite a long time anyway, and, and even early open AI products before anybody knew really the, the general public knew open AI was. Sure. And, and this is because of the gamification product that, that we'd been working on at ThreatGen. So a lot of AI work there and stuff. And I've done a few presentations at conferences on AI and OT and stuff like that. And uh, so, the it all started when I was with my kids working on, hey, can we do a D&D, &D, a Dungeons and Dragons 
like kind of thing with AI. Can we have it automate this and all that? And then that naturally went into, wait a second, this is working pretty good. Can that, can I use this for tabletops? Cause mm-hmm. well, that's what a tabletop is, right? I mean, when you talk about IR tabletops, it's, it's very much in the spirit and fashion of the D and D tabletops, Dungeons and Dragons and sure. it's role playing. And, and so I developed an application of that and through different techniques and different large language models of how can I turn this into something that can facilitate an IR tabletop automatically. And the reason why that's important and going back into why tabletops are important and, and, and some of their limitations is that anytime you have an incident response plan, which you should have all the time, Whenever you get into the thick of it, whenever something happens, the bad thing happens, that's not the right time to see if it works, right? And so a lot of regulatory agencies or even non-regulatory, but just compliance and standards are saying that, hey, you know, you should test your incident response plan. You need to exercise this. And the general recommendation is annually, which I am highly against. I mean, it's better (laughs) than nothing, but you're not really going to get that much out of it and annually. All that's doing is checking a box for compliance. Right. And you're not actually going to remember what your act after action was. You're not going to remember what needs to be changed. And so like anything that needs to be practiced once a year isn't good enough. Yeah. And so this needs to be practiced regularly and you need to see actionable change, actionable items and change. And, and, and so the problem is that with regular tabletops, the, the standard way of doing things, a lot of people use what PowerPoints and slides and Excel spreadsheets and those sorts of things. And they, they take a lot of time and resources to plan properly. And then you have to have somebody who's an expert come out and facilitate that. And all this ends up being time and money and all these things. So, most companies don't have the capacity and the resources to do it more than once a year. Right. So now with the advent of generative AI and large language models, we can build tools like auto tabletop that has very human like analytical capabilities, narrative capabilities. And for the most part, the entirety of human knowledge wrapped up into one model that this thing can automatically reference instantly. And so that's what we did. We, we were using auto tabletop to, for the most part, instantly and dynamically create a scenario based on some simple settings that we gave it to start. And it played out the entire story, which was, you know, we were, called upon to defend the Death Star from a Rebel Alliance cybersecurity attack. And it was, it, you know, that was the first time I'd done it live online streaming. I've done it at a couple of conferences. And, but it even impressed me. It was really cool. It was, it was scary how good it is. And then we also gave it voice capabilities. So not only does it generate the scenario and the injects and facilitate and run and keep up with everything, it was also narrating it, narrating, narrating it to us via audible voice and in a very, I would say, convincing accent and tone that sounds like somebody <laughs> who could have been a commander on the Death Star. And so it was really engaging and it was and, and it was quick and it was easy and it was very accurate, I think. I mean, if, I don't know what your impression was, but it was very accurate. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, and, and the cool thing was, th- th- there's a lot of things, and, and I want to dive into this because I think it's super important. Um, you were able to, on the fly, A, it made it fun, right? So so we did this this exercise. We, we, we did it in Star Wars land. Um, it was a hypothetical scenario, right? You know, so it wasn't real, but it, it was fun. So not only was it, it was engaging, like the four of us were there. We weren't prepared. I didn't have a clue what was going to happen. You didn't have a clue what was going to happen, but we were able beyond just, you know, the way that I've done this before. And I've, you've seen me do these at, at conferences where we have a, you know, a 10 step scenario that we want to run people through a tabletop and it's a predetermined, you know, step one has these three options and step two has these three options and step three, you get the point, right? And really it's about, for those especially that we do with, with, uh, that I've done multiple times with ICS Village, it's more about conversation. It's more about team building. It's more about people giving people that have never done one that maybe they're dipping their toe into OT or they're dipping their toe into cybersecurity, right? It's a really, it's a, it's an understanding of, wow, I didn't even think about that. Right. And we really, we got some really amazing answers and, and perspectives um, based on that. But because of the constraints of, of the tabletop being in a PowerPoint and we had to have all the answers and we had an hour's worth of time, um, to do this in, you know, we, we had to, you know, really have it be, you know, uh, analog, right. It, it, there were only certain things yep. that we could do. So it limited the conversation. Like <clears throat> we had a lot of good conversations, but we couldn't dive down that path. So the thing that I loved about what we did yesterday was every step as we're communicating amongst ourselves, we say, Hey, let's go, let's do this. So we tell the the chat GPT or, or the, the auto tabletop. Yeah, it's not, to, don't, it's not chat GPT. Right. So let's not get uh, confused. Right. <laughs> if we we tell the auto tabletop, the AI model to, hey, we want to, you know, lock down the, 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 the Death Star. We want to, you know, send stormtroopers out to this area. We want to, you know, do all these things. And then it gives us a response based on our actions. So it's very dynamic. It's a, you know, it's a, uh, uh, it's a, it's a role place game, it, very similar, like you said, to D and D, but all along the way, even though it was this fake scenario in, in, in the Death Star, we were still doing cyber hygiene things. Like we were still, yeah having instant response. We were still communicating to our, our leadership. You know, we were still, you know, sending physical response folks out there because we, we were afraid that there was maybe a, a response re- required. So it's really powerful to be able to do that because it, when you do a tabletop for a large organization, how many people actually get to sit at the table, right? How many people actually yeah. get their voice heard? And like you said, if you do it once a year, if I go work out once a year, I'm not going to have a six pack. Right. Um, I'm going to have to do it more consistently than that. It's the same reason why you have, you know, fire uh, uh, practice. You, you, you go through these procedures and you test those things. Where do I go? What is the muster point? Like it should be second nature. As soon as those things go off. People aren't looking around like, I don't know what to do. Like we did this once three years ago, but I don't remember what to do. Yeah. Like you should yeah. be trained. It should be repetitive. It, it's like CQB in the military. It's like why the SEALs train so much. Like it, it, it's all about be understanding what the next step is because you're going to step your toe. You're going to make mistakes. But when you do this on a regular basis and you could do this for everybody because you lowered the barrier of entry. Like I don't have to have a McKinsey. I don't have to have a booze. I don't have any, have an UI or this consultant to come in and do this big orchestrated thing that costs time and materials and bringing, bringing in all this stuff. I can do this weekly, monthly, quarterly. Like it really opens the floodgates to be able to provide this understanding to the masses. Yeah. And you hit on something also, which was, um, 
the the lack of limitations, right? right. And I think that's what makes it truly valuable and uh, truly just. I keep saying truly, but that's what, you know, that, that's what really makes it, I guess that increases the value because, you know, with a pre-scripted set of injects or a scripted scenario, you have those limitations. And, and I think that that limits the learning in a, in a way, because you have a certain set of things that you are exercising. And if the, the participants try to go outside of those boundaries, you don't have an answer for it, or you have to guide them back, or right. your answer may not be accurate to their situation. Or what if you didn't plan it exactly properly? And you always have that engineer, you always have that IT person, that manager that says, well, that would never happen in our situation because this and this and this. Oh, right. that can't happen because our our system doesn't have that. Right. So if you have a system that we that we can now utilize AI, to generate everything, there are no limits now. Now sure. somebody can try to throw you a curveball, and you're like, okay, like like somebody literally did. Somebody said, hey, well, where is Darth Vader during all of this? And we said, right. well, let's ask it, and it answered that, right? I mean, yeah. and it, and so you can't stump it, you can't trip it up. And then if you do have a situation where somebody says, well, that our system doesn't do that. So I mean, going back is that okay? Let's say we're not doing a Star Wars themed. Sure. Exercise. Let's say we are doing a theme that that is more realistic to somebody's systems, which it can do as well. We were just having fun yesterday. But if we get into a situation, somebody says, well, that our system doesn't look like that. It doesn't act like that. Well, then you just feed that information to the AI. The the AI makes the adjustments and it says, okay, well, we'll move forward accordingly. And so – it takes away the limits of conversation and the, the injects. It takes away all limits, and there are no limitations now on what kind of questions you can ask, what can be answered. And so I think that is the true value of where we are today. So it's it's really deep diving into how – you 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 take the gloves off like there there's no scenario yeah. that you can't do i can i can tell it to check logs you know we we went through and told it to check logs we looked we we told it to check video surveillance um for uh physical you know in these areas we we sent uh stormtroopers out again you could do physical security when it's not a, a, a hypothetical situation um i think you even said that you can feed it you know architecture uh a diagram so it, it actually is using yeah. your environments again you're not going to want to potentially put, you know, IP addresses or things like that. You don't need to, but you can put a general high hierarchical, you know, architecture drawing in there that that is more realistic to your environment. So so you have less of those managers saying, well, that's not how our environment works. Right. We don't have right. that problem because we've done X, Y, and Z. And then you can just give it that feedback saying, well, we don't have that problem. We've turned off that secure mode access or we don't have you know active directory or we don't have that that vulnerability um so that's not a viable uh, attack vector yeah exactly and and i think that's that's where the problem of tabletops really kind of start is that it is so scripted and they're so structured and it takes so long to plan is that there are limitations in the discussions that you can have because there's limitations in the questions you can ask or the knowledge and it's you know, you have to have that expertise, not only from the staff participating, but from the person running it as well. And so it takes away that, and you said it earlier, the barrier to entry, because now 
you know, the the team itself can just say, well, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to run. Whether it's a, we want to run the specific scenario or surprise us, and here's our environment. Now go. And even from an IR expertise perspective, you can have the AI itself make sure that you are following the identify, classify, mm-hmm. isolate you know, eradicate, recover steps of IR and even explain that to you. It can help you along. And it is an expert. It does know all the things that a human would know about IR and cybersecurity and and such. And so, I mean, you, you have expertise built in, you know? So, so that gives you, you know, I I know when we first started, we were like, I I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know where to start. So you kind of helped us guide that, but you can just ask it. I don't know where to start. What, what, what are some ideas on things? Like there's all sorts of things that you can do to get the ball rolling. For me, that means I can give it to my junior people. I can give it to my mid-tier people. I can give it to my super experienced people, right? And they're all going to get value from it. They're not going to, you know, that's another problem that you have in a tabletop exercise. Your junior people are going to sit in the back. They're probably not going to say anything. Your your mid-level people may say something, but they may get overrun by the, the guy that knows everything and talks all the time. Um, whereas if you do this in the right scenario and, and depending on how you put the teams together, you can take your junior folks and let them run on it on their own and practice it and, and run through it a couple of times and, and that kind of thing. Right. And, and they're able to get value and, and, and improve their skill set because they're putting in reps. You know, it's just like anything, the more of these things I do. And the other thing is, is every time I do it, it's a different experience. So it's not like I'm just going to run back through it and I have the same thing again. I can run through it with a different scenario, with different outcomes, with different perspectives, a different attack vector. You know, this one's malware. That one's a phishing attack. This one is, you know, social engineering, you know, really, again, going back to the sky's the limit. So, so you can really be as, as, as uh, flexible as you want by the teams, the, the scenarios, the amount of times that you run it, it really opens the door to get a lot of value out of this for entities that, that may, again, like you said, maybe they've got, you know, they do one a year to check the box for compliance and that that's good enough. Um, but that's because maybe they don't see the value in it from this perspective, because it's just not, it's not the same. Right. And that's that's one of the benefits of using AI based tabletops. And and, and the reason I, I'm not really just going to sit here and say, you know, auto tabletop, auto tabletop, you know, threat gen, because I'm sure. not trying to make this a sales presentation. I, sure. I, I'm just I'm I'm an advocate for the use of AI technologies in cybersecurity um, and open. Uh, the auto tabletop just happens to be the product that I developed based off of it. But the, the benefits of using AI are and for tabletops is like what you just said, but to, to add to that a bit is that all of these things that you can do, this limitless capability can be done instantly to start a new one. So I've done this for customers to where we would do one, it would take an hour or so, and then we would spin up a completely different one right afterwards. And then we would do one day, we would do them one for the junior people and the and the engineers, and then another day we would do one, or or that afternoon we would do one tailored for management. And so it takes away the that because it doesn't take any time to set up because it's it's unlimited potential. You can run one right after the other. And one of the things that I noticed that I'd never seen before is we ran a couple tabletops in the morning on one day, ran one in the afternoon, then the next day we ran a couple more. And by the time we were done, 
I was, or by the time we got to the last one, which we kind of called the final test, right? Well, we threw the kitchen sink at them and they were already improved. They were using lessons learned and techniques that they had gotten bitten by from the first and second ones the day prior. They had already improved. You are not going to see that at all with a once a year annual tabletop. And that is the big thing. That is why I hate annual tabletops yeah. because you don't have noticeable improvement. There's really no gain from it other than saying, okay, our, ta- our IR plan works in theory, but being able to just do boom, 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 one after the other and change up scenarios is I have literally seen it 100% of the time to where people see noticeable improvement from the beginning to the end because you can do them right in a row and you can exercise so many things. And And, you know, another benefit of it is well, what if you're not doing a cyber IR? So, for example, I have a friend of mine who wants to do this for the like uh, just in, um, emergency response, incident response for pipelines, not even cybersecurity related. Sure. So, you know, you're not limited to cybersecurity. Basically, you can test the efficacy of any process, any procedure that you have using generative AI technology. Yeah. And, and man, it's, it's really the sky's the limit. I know you and I've talked about a lot of things that, um, aren't, aren't there yet. Um, but you know, the sky's the limit of where, where we can take this, right. And this, this, the overarching AI and, you know, I wrote an article the other day and posted it around, you know, what, what is OT going to be like and, and how do we incorporate AI and how do we make people feel comfortable? Because it's just like anything. It's, it's the difference of, Oh, you know, I don't want to have a car. I'd rather just stay with my horse. Right. You know, though, those people are, are long gone, right? As yeah. much as I, I, and I grew up riding horses, but I was not doing it for transportation. I was doing it yeah. because I liked riding horses. Um, I, I definitely would rather get in my dad's, you know, 77 Chevy pickup to go to the store because it's a heck of a lot faster and I can haul a lot more stuff. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not, it's a lot more comfortable ride. Even, even in that old truck, uh, it was a lot more comfortable than my horse. I love my horse, but it, it's not the same. So, so even with this, like an OT, there's there's no doubt in my mind that OT is going to get brought into or AI is going to get brought into OT. It's just a matter of how do I do it in an intelligent way. And I know you and I are, are you know looking at some of that and working on some of that. But some of that is you know making it be on prem, making it be you know uh, uh, have conf- confirmation by a real uh, operator. So I'm not necessarily taking action in blind, especially in the beginning until I believe it, until I've grown this thing to a place that you know the the operator feels comfortable, or maybe never, maybe never is a relatively long term but you know in the in the foreseeable future maybe that's not even my focus maybe i'm just saying how can i get decisions and ideas and and data in front of my operator faster uh, ai yep. and and the ability for it to be able to look at this data and make a decision or narrow things down which i know you and i've been working on a lot right how can i just get it to narrow down to it's one of these five things like look at these these things instead of the the list of 8000 just look at these five, like, tell me which one of these you think it is, right? That That's hugely right. powerful for, for you to be able to make a decision as a human, because I know what I know about my plant and now it's just narrowed it down. So it helped me make a decision and choose from a smaller list that, and that's, that's, that's hugely valuable. Yeah. So let's pivot real quick and talk about that aspect, which is, yep. look, AI is coming. It's inevitable, whether you want it to or not. Right. Just kind of like, you know, like, 
ITOT convergence, right? It's coming whether you like it or not. Um, yeah. You know, SCADA in the cloud. You know, it's all these things that people don't want. They're going to happen. Virtualization. It's going to happen. It's happening. So let's let's talk real quick about some of the misconceptions that people have with AI in the industry and the pitfalls. And I'm not talking about the existential threat of this is how you get Terminators, but you know, there are some misconceptions that people have that are causing some unsubstantiated fears of AI in their industry and in their companies. There are some valid concerns. And so let, let's talk r- real quick about, you know, what are some of the concerns? Are they valid or not? And then how can we protect ourselves against adversaries using AI? Or how can we use AI effectively in our companies, organizations, and our industry effectively and safely? And so I think one of the big things is right now, um, a lot of organizations are scared of using AI because of the claims, and then some of these are valid, that their data was used in training in the open AI models. And so sure. we're like, well, I don't want my sensitive information exposed. So company policy, you don't use chat GPT. Da, da, da. Okay. So let's talk about this for a minute. So first of all, people need to understand that chat GPT is the consumer based web interface for the open AI models. And so right. Um, that information, while you can opt out by default, that information is saved. That's that's how whenever you go to the chat GPT interface and you can click on your conversations because it's saved out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's saved. And the data, even if you opt out, can be saved for up to 30 days. Um, and then if you don't opt out, that data can be used for training. And that's where people start to see their private data um, used in the models. The But you should know that ChatGPT aside, but OpenAI, the, the backend, the LLMs, and using building apps on top of it, using the API, they are audited for SOC 2 compliance, and they are GDPR compliant. And data, if you're using the team's data, if um, sorry, if you're using the Teams version of OpenAI of ChatGPT, if you are using the enterprise version, or if you're using the API, okay, that data is not used for training. If you are building an application on top of the API, that data is not saved anywhere unless the app builder saves it. That data is not used for training. Whenever you make inferences, meaning if I have a prompt and I put data into the prompt, and I send it to the OpenAI large language model for inference to, to query it, yes, it is going across the internet, encrypted, and it hits the cloud, it hits the model, and then it makes that inference, and then you get the information back. That data is then, it disappears into the ether. That, 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 that prompt is not saved anywhere. So there is a... There is a slight risk when you take that data and you send it across the internet to make the inference, and then it disappears. But it is encrypted. So what does that mean? That means that you have the same 
data in transit security and privacy that you have whenever you're storing all that data in your SharePoint or any anything that you have in your organization that has a cloud-based infrastructure like AWS, Azure, SharePoint, um, if you're storing that data anywhere other than on-premises, and by the way, if you have a site-to-site, if I have um, an office in Georgia and an office in Houston, guess what? That data is still going out there somewhere. If I'm sharing it at all, and, and so that's what we're seeing. Now, the difference is, is that if that data is going, uh, if, if I'm not saving that data anymore, it's being transmitted, but then it disappears if I'm only saving it locally. So it's actually more secure than if you're using any type of sh- uh, d- file sharing services, data transmission, uh, things like that. So if you are a company that is using any type of cloud infrastructure, it's no different. It really is. It, it, it's no different. And so that's what you have to be aware of from a data inference, data storage, sure. data transit when you're talking about these, these large language models. Now, you know, how much can we trust what OpenAI is saying about, um, you know, your data isn't stored, it's not used for training or whatever? Well, that's the question, isn't it? But, but that's also the – we signed that trust contract when we use cloud services anyway, anywhere. So I don't know if you have any comments or anything to say on that. Yeah, I mean, obviously that that that's a a good point to talk about, right? And 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 how do we? And that's just basic cyber hygiene. It's basic, you know, data, you know, exfiltration. Where do I put my data? It's no different than you know putting data in GitLab or GitHub. And and what data can I put there? Just because it's there in my environment doesn't mean I should. You know, I've got to be careful with that as a as a as a consultant or or whatever my role is. My my customer may not want their data um, in that location for for obvious reasons, right? For the same same purpose, right? It's it's the same concept we've done with. GitLab. We're sharing content. We're sharing code. We're sharing all this different stuff. We just don't want to put, you know, customer proprietary information up there. Same thing you wouldn't want to do in GitLab. Same thing you wouldn't want to do in, in you know, uh, open AI, right? But then the other piece to that is that, and you and I have been working on some of this, right, is there's also local language models, right? There, you can pull those things out of the cloud and run them on your machine, right? So w- with GPUs, with, with just normal computers, not even something that's got some crazy amount of GPUs on my laptop, I can run a llama and all these different, uh, you know, language models right on my machine. So I'm not exfiltrating the data. The stuff is local. It's running on my on my site, on-prem. So I know a lot of the OT stuff, they're like, oh yeah, well, we don't put stuff in the cloud anyway. So that doesn't apply to me, Clint. Okay, but this is another way you can do it. You can do that same thing, that those same language models that you're getting. Now, it's not the same for same, right? Obviously, you get the benefit of the the larger um, training uh, data set on on a, a large model like OpenAI. If I'm doing ChatGTP four, um, you know, it's going to have this huge thing of all these people's trained data that it's been doing and scouring the internet, and you know, it's got Dolly and I can create images and it can search the internet, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to be limited. It's not the same for same, but I can still do local stuff and create like auto tabletop and other, other like products that I can actually do things locally. So I'm not sending my data to the cloud. It's all on my computer. Right. Right. And it's not going anywhere. Right. And that's where I was going to go next is that, yes, there are large language models. You can use large language models that are local open source. And this technology 
is moving so fast. Right now, the general consensus is that open source is about six months behind, you know, your your best models in OpenAI. What that means is that, and yes, the quality of you know GPT four is better than say your open source Llama, Llama two, whatever. But that's going to change, yeah. and that's going to change very fast. And as time goes on, you will have that that same quality, and it's very close anyway. You'll find, but you can also fine tune local models, and what that means is that I can take question and answer sets. I can take, I can basically create data that is specific to what I'm going to use the model for. I can fine tune it, create another variation of that open source local model. And what research is showing is that fine tuned versions of the top quality open source models are actually as good at your best quality, like GPT-4, in that particular domain. And that's because, sure. you know, it, you're not, it doesn't have to, well, basically, long story short, what happens is that the, the number of, uh, the, the number of weights, the number of transformers, the, the, the number of, the, just, let's just call them this, the parameters, we'll call them. Um, but the open source models weren't trained with as many CP GPUs, with as many resources. And so sure. they're not as good at looking at the broad scale, that broad knowledge base, that data set within that model and making the proper inferences. So their weights aren't as good. They're, um, anyway, just long story short, they, they, because of that reason, they're not as good. However, when you fine tune a model for a specific task, it doesn't have to then comb through all that data in general to find the answer you're looking for. So the open source models are just as good as the top quality models once they're fine-tuned for a specific task. So, And that's really what you're going to be doing when it comes to OTE and cybersecurity and stuff like that. So yes, you can absolutely benefit from artificial intelligence, generative AI, large language models, completely private, locally, and your data never leaving your site. Yeah, and, and that's hugely powerful. I mean, the sky's the limit with that. Again, I, I go back to the the scenario we, we were talking about before, whether it be auto tabletop where I can feed it architecture diagrams. Well, I don't want to get feed you know that across the internet to uh, open AI. Okay, so don't. Like you can do that locally. Um, you can you can start feeding it, you know, uh, the architecture, the, the the build types, and 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 configurations maybe even. So when we're doing these tabletops, you, you're actually able to give it, you know, actual log exports from from a type of device, and and you know, PCAP maybe you can feed it a PCAP of this is some data that we have in our environment. This is what the inject looks like. You know, uh, all these different things become possible, and you're not worried about your data getting out there. You're not worried about my architecture or, you know, some, some China or, or bad actor getting my data and knowing what my attack vectors are, because now they just got, they saw my, 
saw my um, tabletop exercise. So now they know where, you know, all my, all my, my weaknesses are right. So that, that you can do this in a, in a, in a powerful way, get the benefit without the risk. So it's just a matter of how you want to do it and what's important to you. But to your point on, on the IT side of the house, you're already doing this. Like you already have all your stuff in the cloud. You already are using all these cloud-based services. Maybe OT is a little different, but on the IT side, we're, we're already doing these things. And we have been for years. Yep. Like we've been in cloud and online and, and edge and all this type of stuff for forever. Um, and it's not going away. So we're, I think we're more comfortable on the IT side of the house than the OT, but I can see both of them being valuable. Yeah. I mean, and as time goes on, I mean, look, you know, there are people already doing things like SCADA. Uh, in the cloud. I mean, technically, sure. if you think about it, what well, the nature of SCADA um, is, you know, unless you're using, you know, point to point frame relays and things like that, I mean, that data is traveling, you know, over right. the, you know, you know, unless you're point to point satellite and things like that. I mean, in a lot of cases, that data is traveling over the internet, right? I mean, uh, remote communications. And so, but there are people that are moving to that. And so I think at, at some point, there there is going to be a certain amount of data from OT that is accepted in yeah. cloud infrastructure. Yeah. And, and I think that's going to be more so around how do I get comfortable? Right. And, and a lot of this is fear of the unknown, right? I'm, I'm scared of what I don't know. I'm scared of, you know, I, I don't understand how this AI thing works. I remember it, it must've been 2010 when, when one of the control vendors was, was rolling out, um, remote, uh, VMware, you know, virtualization and using virtualization, having a VM instance to be an engineering workstation. And I was trying to explain to an operator and, and an engineer, a plant, you know, control system engineer, the concept of virtualization and, and where the, server lives and and even though the server is over here i'm going to access it over there and but it's not secure mode access it's different and 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 that whole concept was beyond what they could understand because they'd never been exposed to virtualization right now virtualization is used all over the place in ot everybody understands it it's not scary they have virtual control processors and field io and all this different stuff it's become a thing but even at that point this was again like 2010 virtualization was not new in 2010 it virtualization has been around for a long time it's been using yep. it for 30 years um, yep. but but in ot we're probably 20 years behind them right so i, I think the same probably adoption rate is going to be here and, and obviously there's a reason for that 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 caution in ot right you know obviously the impacts are bigger um I, i'm dealing with death i'm dealing with you know life i'm dealing with safety i'm dealing with availability of my lights you know you, our right. internet our, our infrastructure there's a reason we've got to go a little slower and make sure that we fully understand the ramifications of the actions that we're doing um but but it doesn't mean it's not coming so you can't just say yeah. we're never going to do that because it is coming you need to start thinking about it you need to start thinking about what would make me feel comfortable what do i what are the check boxes that they would have to do for me to feel comfortable to do this in my space and how could i do it you know and, and phase it in instead of it just getting rammed down my throat in 10 years because that's my only option right yeah and that's the same you know and i'll i'll you know, I'll echo what you said, you know, rightfully so. Yeah, we're worried about it and rightfully so. Sure. And I'm, and you know, and of course I'm only speculating, obviously I'm not saying, you know, okay, I said it, but I don't mean like it's going to happen whether you like it or not. I'm saying more than likely history would show that, you know, technology will evolve into these things that 
we're uncomfortable with, but we'll find a way to do it. But this, that's where we are with AI, right? Across the board in that everybody's sort of afraid of what does this AI mean? You know, what are the risks? And, you know, there is a risk of, and I don't really want to, you know, we probably should not put this in scope here, but, you know, in terms of prompt injection, large language sure. model injection, right, to get data, you don't have to worry about that if you're using open source private models locally only. And so right. that's the solution to that. And and I think that once you get into the conversation of we can use local models, completely private, nothing going out anywhere, then the risk of prompt injection, remote access, our data being exposed significantly diminishes in some cases completely. And they just, you know, depending on how well you secure your onsite data uh, sure. from any, you know, remote access. But at that point, that's where we can start to fully take advantage of the benefits of generative AI, large language technology. And, and, and I think that everyone should, I, I think that the, the benefits of the ability for AI to enhance human capabilities exponentially, the analytics capabilities, the reasoning capabilities, the search capabilities, and what it can do can actually make, you know, our industry organizations more efficient. And, and, not even get into the conversations of, well, it, you know, it's going to replace jobs and da, 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 da. <laughs> no, yeah, that's a ways off. We're not even going to get into that. Um, yeah. You know, would, would I trust that, you know, everybody says, well, um, not everybody, but I've had people tell me, well, I wouldn't trust these large language models to, to make decisions that, that are, that, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, concerning human life and to, to make a, a, a split second process decision or whatever. Well, you're already doing that, by the way. Yeah. And what, what, what is, what is process automation in the first place? Uh, sure. And so, you know, I would say that, you know, once you have a really fine tuned model and, and once you have tested it and trained it, the, the large language model capabilities, generative AI, the AI, is actually less likely to make a human to make a mistake that a human would would make, you know. And so yeah. humans are prone to mistake too. And yeah. the difference is, is that AI doesn't have emotions, and AI doesn't get sleepy. AI is not hungover. AI doesn't, you know, get sick. You know, so it's um, we'll get to the point to where we are trusting AI to make a lot of decisions and do these things more so than humans. If we can protect that data, if we can protect that, you know, the, the proprietary stuff and the sensitive data and all of that, then it, it, I would say that using where using the capabilities of AI and where we're going, where it is today and where it's going to be a year from now, six months from now, sure. I think is a benefit. I, I think that everybody should be preparing to use AI to make things not only more productive, more efficient, but to make things safer. And I think they can. Absolutely. I mean, you know, day-to-day uh, -day basis, I use it to, you know, I'll write an article, but instead of worrying about, you know, sentence structure and fragments and, and any of that, I just flow. Like I, I'll, I'll go through and I'll say, this is what I want to talk. I want to talk about this. And, and I just start writing out notes, like just, just as it flows out of my head and, you know, this topic and that topic and this thing and that thing and that, and, and I just go, cause I don't have to worry about this goes before that or any of that kind of stuff. And then I can put that and kind of build it into strat. This is what I want to say. And then I can post that into chat GPT. 
I'm not getting chat GPT to write anything for me. I'm writing it. I'm just getting it to reword it, to put it in a structure that makes sense. I can say, Hey, make sure that we're using this language, you know, so I've, I've trained it. I've built a custom GPT for me using the the language, the way that I speak, the words that I use, like, cause I don't want to come across using words that I never use in, in conversation. It does it. It's getting better. Sometimes it does a first draft, right? I use it all the time to give me first drafts of things, but you know, but the, the thing is, is that, you know, I would say that, and this is scary for the workforce, but that generative AI can do those things that I would normally have an intern do or a Correct. junior person do, a junior exactly. programmer, a junior engineer. So I think if it's going to affect anything in the workforce, it's it's going to make it it's going to make entry level positions harder to get. Yeah. So I think here's a clue, here's a hint, people. In order to increase your chances of getting entry-level jobs in the future, learn generative AI, learn prompt engineering, learn how to use these yep. tools. So, yeah, and 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 it could be a powerful tool. It's just like anything, right? It, it's it's what you do with it, right? And and how you wield it, um, and you can yep. use it to be a powerful thing. Like my kids are in school, and you know. Uh, the conversations with the teachers, like how, how do they have, how do they make them write an article or a paper or things like that? Like, okay, well, you know, they're going to put it through AI. Okay. So that's a tool. It's no different than when I took calculus in, in engineering school, I had a TI 92 calculator that could do calculus problems. I still had to show my work though. I just yeah. knew that the, if I got, if I showed my work and got to the right answer, I knew it was the right answer, but it wasn't good enough for me just to put a, I had to show yeah. all yeah. of my work and my calculator is not going to do that for me. Right. It yeah. was really just a tool that I could use to verify that I got to the right place, but I still had to do the work. So it, I see AI is the same thing. I still have to put thoughts into what I want it to say and what I want it to do. I can't just say, Hey, chat GGP, write me an article. Like I can, but it's going to be the quality of a junior level person, right? If I wanted to actually have some meat and some value, I'm going to have to write the article and then I I allow it to do what the junior person would do. Hey, go fix the sentence structure, go fix the typos, you know, go make the fonts the correct way, you know, put it in a format that I want it to be in. Here's my template, like doing all of those little menial tasks that I don't need to spend my time and focus my effort on. It's the same thing with this podcast, this platform that I use, it automatically transcribes the the transcripts. Like it it does all of the, you know, speaker A, speaker B, I can, I I can actually take this transcript and I can delete the, the words in the transcript and it cuts that part out. So I'm editing by just deleting words and sentences and paragraphs out of the transcript. It deletes that content from the podcast. So before I was having to go to an editor and do it, I still send it to an editor, but when I send it to them, I've already cut out the things that I don't want in there. So then they're just fixing auto tones and some of that type of stuff. And they're really polishing it. Um, So it's not that that editor is getting no work. It's that they don't have to do as much stuff. They can, I can outsource that to AI instead of a VA or a junior intern, that kind of thing. Right. Yep. Exactly. So next, obviously, we talked a little bit about this already, but next five to 10 years, what what is coming up over the horizon? What's something you're excited about, obviously, in AI, and maybe what's something that's concerning um, that you see maybe coming up the horizon that people, that we need to, as an industry, um, a, as a whole, probably need to get a grip on before before it's too late? Yeah, you know, I think that... Um, <sighs> I'm not worried about like, you know, this existential threat that everybody, you know, you have some conspiracy theorists and there's two different camps, you know, quite frankly, I think that 
you know, kind of what I said about AI and safety, right? I think if you, sure. if you, um, if you eliminate um, human emotions and human spite and human, these, these, these negative human characteristics, you eliminate that. I think they could probably manage humans better than humans. I think they probably manage the environment better. They can manage everything better. So, so I think, you know, yes, there's the argument of like, well, what if AI says that uh, the way to uh, protect humans is to get rid of humans? The way to protect the environment is to get rid of humans. Well, you know what? Then so be it. I mean, if we're that terrible, then maybe we shouldn't be here. So I'm not worried about the existential threat. Um, yeah. I think that the things that excite me about AI and this my, I think, is that just the level of human creativity will be enhanced. I think our capabilities will be enhanced because one thing one thing that we have that AI probably will never have is experiential creativity. We can create from our experiences and our emotions, right? People can create from passion and love or hate or anger and fear and excitement. And we can create, we have the capacity to turn the intangible into art, into creativity, right? AI will probably never have that ability. Um, and I don't know. I don't know how you expe- express emotions digitally or, you know, in sure. silicon and binary. But I would think that that's something that we have, that if we use AI as a tool, to be able to express creativity, express like whether it's writing code or creating art or videos or music, if you use AI as a tool and it can work so fast and efficiently or whatever, and you use your create your your own creativity and your emotion and your experiences as the motivation, uh, the impetus for is that a word? Maybe impetus? Maybe I'm impetus? What? A, <laughs> um, <laughs> Impetus, right? No, what's the word? Don't start me lying to you. I'm not the grammar nope. guy. Yeah, I don't. Anyway, you, you <laughs> we know, got a couple of tech right? guys trying to talk grammar. That's why I have yeah, ChatGPT. So, it tells me what to write. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, but, but if you use that and you use the generative AI as a tool, yep. then you're going to be able to create things that you couldn't create before. You're going to, some, and I know, and I know the artists don't want to hear this, but but if you if, if someone is inspired and they use these tools to do things that they couldn't do before without a learning curve or, or you know skills, you can create amazing things, right? If sure. I have an idea, but I don't know how to code, then I can get generative AI to help me with that and create these things. And so I think what happens is that the technical skills become less of a barrier. Sure. And and now it's about creativity and thought and ideas. And I yeah. think that's going to accelerate human advancement. That's going to accelerate the thing. I think we're, we're limited by our technology, but we have unlimited creativity and capability. And so <clears throat> I think that there's going to be a complete shift in the next five years, maybe a year, two years, right. but definitely within the next five years and certainly in 10 years, we're going to see a shift in technological evolution. And we're going to see an increase, an exponential increase in development and capabilities because we're going to learn how to use AI because it's going to get even better and better. We're going to yeah. learn how to use AI to create things based off of our ideas a lot better, right? And yeah. so I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of medical advancements. You're going to mm-hmm. see, um, but on the other side, 
here's the fear part, right? You also have people that have negative sure. inventions and innovations and, yeah. and, and, and motivations, right? And so just like we're going to be able to take this amazing technology and create something good, faster and better, people are also going to be able to create bad things faster yeah. and more efficiently. And so, but that's with every technology, any technology sure. that allows you to accelerate advancement in one way, it can be good and it can be bad. And so we just have to be aware of that. And so when people are afraid of AI wiping out humanity, it's not because AI will make a decision to wipe out humanity. It's because humanity will use AI to wipe out humanity. That's right. Um, and so that's that's where the fear is, is that we, you know, the Spider-Man quote, right? You know, with great power great comes power great responsibility. Comes great. Yep. And then there are some evil people out there and there are some stupid people out there. And when you mix <laughs> stupid and evil, Kim Jong-un, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, then, you know, you know, there bad things can happen. So that's the only thing I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried about what people will do. The technology is exciting. I'm not worried about the technology making a decision yep. to wipe us out. We're going to do some great things with this as it grows. But I just I'm worried about just how stupid and evil some people can be with it. So it's going to basically be can we bridle ourselves? Well, and and you you hit on something there that that we're being hesitant to use it for good because we're afraid of what it can do, especially in OT, right? We're afraid of what it can do and how do we do it safely? The bad guys aren't, they don't care. They're going to use it right now to figure yeah, out exactly. how can they build something to get into these spaces, right? So yep. they're already mm -hmm. using it uh, for their advantage to build, you know, the MVP, you know, that, that grant, that barrier of entry, like we talked about on the, uh, the auto tabletop, I can build a platform. I can build a product. I don't know how to code, right? Let's say I've never, I can't write a script. I can't do anything. Like I'm, I'm a newbie. I can barely use my iPhone. But if I can talk to a GP, GPT or, or some language model or AI, and it can create some basic MVP for me enough that it can get the message across, and then I can hand it to somebody that actually knows how to build something advanced, then they can take that idea and that basic concept and then grow it into an actual productive thing. It's able to bridge that gap that much faster because sometimes that yep. MVP is the hard part to get to. Um, especially as if you're a non-technical person um, and, and you're trying to do something technical, then you've got to hire somebody and you've got to get your message across. You've got to pay them and you've got all these things that stop you from doing it. It's probably why a lot of ideas don't happen, but this is going to remove that barrier or at least reduce that barrier so that more yeah. and more people can do it. And that's good people and bad people, good products and yep. bad products, evil and, and, and good. So we've got to be able to use it for good and, 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 we need to be safe with it, but that doesn't mean we can just avoid it. So, yeah, so tell, I think that, that yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, tell folks, uh, how do they get to the tabletop? I know you're going to do these uh, every Tuesday, I think you said, is, is when you're going to live stream them. How do people yep. get access, find out more information about it? And, and maybe even, obviously, you got a book coming up as well. So, why don't you kind of share all that stuff? We'll put it in the show notes too, but go ahead and talk about it a bit. Yeah. So, I mean, real quick, I mean, if you just want to get a hold of me, the easiest way to get a hold of me is find me on LinkedIn. My name, you know, uh, which will be in the, the, the show notes is I'm, I'm the only one with my name in the world. So just reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, and, and that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. But yeah, I've got this new book coming out. It should be hit in February, March, something like that called ChatGPT for cybersecurity. It's not just ChatGPT. So that'll talk about a lot of like how I'm leveraging and I'm teaching people how to leverage this technology for cybersecurity purposes. Um, but yeah, our, you can go to 
YouTube and search for threat gen G E and so threat G E and all one word threat gen on YouTube. And every Tuesday we do live streams of the auto tabletop where we're doing that sort of thing with IR tabletops live streamed uh, with that. You can also go to threatgen.com to learn more about kind of what we're doing with AI and the products that we have auto, you know, uh, just letting you know, unfortunately auto tabletop, is not an individual product. It is a. Uh, it's priced for companies because uh, it is for tabletop exercises and things like that. But you know, if you want to eval it, or if you're interested, you want to use it for education. Just talk to me. I'll work with you. We'll figure. You know, if, if this is something that's important to you, we'll figure out how to work it out. Um, and then finally, my personal website is cybersuperhuman.ai, where um, I teach. I do live streams, and I also have some courses where I teach people how to do this for cybersecurity. Awesome, man. Hey, I appreciate all the work that you do. I think this is hugely valuable and beneficial to the, the greater good of, of, of humanity and OT and cybersecurity and all the different things. Uh, obviously, I, I geek out with this stuff, as you know, and, and love digging into this stuff. So it's, it's, a, it's a fun, exciting place to be. Um, it's a fun, exciting thing that's coming up over the horizon. And, and uh, I think a lot of folks are really excited to get their hands dirty and, and, and dig into this stuff because everybody sees the writing on the wall. This is the next you know, gold mine, gold rush, whatever you want to say. Um, coming that uh, everybody needs to have this in their tool, their, their tool belt to be able to use yep. this for whatever their role is. It's going to be an impact in, in all future capabilities. So uh, yeah, it's absolutely it, necessary. Absolutely. hundred yeah, percent. Well, awesome, Clint. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Uh, appreciate your time today. And uh, I, I, again, I'll put all the show notes then uh, in the bottom uh, until then. Uh, thanks everybody for coming and uh, until next time. Yep. Thanks for having me and take care everybody. Thanks for joining us on Protect It All, where we explore the crossroads of IT and OT cybersecurity. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to stay ahead in this ever-evolving field. Until next time.